Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While sales of refrigerated plant-based meat may be slowing, shares of some plant-based milk brands may be slipping, and consumer response to a handful of new products are tepid at best, industry leaders argue that the party is far from over for the overall plant-based segment. According to IRI data from 2010 Analytics, sales of refrigerated meat alternatives fell a startling 16.1% to $41.8 million in May over the previous year, pulling down revenues of some of the biggest players in the space, including Beyond Meat, which reported this month that revenue fell a staggering 10% in the second quarter, and Maple Leaf Foods, which reported this month that sales in its plant protein group were down 15.2% in the second quarter from the previous year. Popular oat milk brand Oatly also saw stocks plunge earlier this month after a reported record loss of $72 million in its second quarter, despite a quarterly sales increase to $178 million from $146 million the previous year, prompting it to pump the brakes on an expansion plan as it battles headwinds pushing against the entire industry. Despite these high-profile hits, the overall plant-based segment continues to grow and shows no sign of slowing. According to market data from the Plant-Based Foods Association gathered and analyzed with the Good Food Institute and Spins, the plant-based sales grew a whopping 54% to $7.4 billion in the three years from 2018, including a 6.2% surge in 2021 over 2020. To further build on this momentum and seize opportunities within the plant-based food and beverage segment, as well as address macro challenges facing the industry, stakeholders will convene in New York City next month at the Plant-Based World Expo, details of which event content chair and strategic advisor Ben Davis shares in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. He also shares how consumer perceptions of plant-based are evolving and the challenges and opportunities that these shifts are creating. Finally, he shares how plant-based companies can not only survive, but thrive during uncertain economic times by investing in more than new product development. When the Plant-Based World Expo first launched in 2019, it was focused on basic questions about what qualified as plant-based, and attendees tended to be the passionate pioneers rather than mainstream buyers. But as Davis explains, in just three years, not only has the show grown, serving as a measuring stick for the entire plant-based industry, but the level of engagement and caliber of questions have deepened, reflecting the speed at which the category is evolving. From from our perspective as a trade show that serves the business-to-business community here, um, so that's in particular the retail and grocery side and the food service restaurant side, um, we've seen an amazing growth over the last few years. Um, and I say that even with the challenges that the last few years have presented. Um, and one, one number that really just helps solidify that is the fact that we have a trade show in this, specifically in this industry, fully plant-based, that grew by 60% between 2009 and 2001. Um, and I, I say this not necessarily just to kind of toot our own horn, but to speak to the growth of an industry when I don't think 
any other, maybe a couple, I haven't heard of any other events in an industry that grew substantially from 2019 to 2021. Almost all of them were kind of losing ground simply because people were not allowed to hold events. Uh, this industry grew an event in New York City um, and also launched an event in London um, that was supposed to take place in fall of 2020 and ended up happening in fall of 2021. So it just shows that there's an eagerness for people to gather, for people to try new things, for people to uh, withstand the risks that are clearly out there for doing these things in order to participate in the growth of an industry that has so much potential right now. Um, in 2019, our job as a trade show looking to advance this industry was much different than what it is now. Uh, and the questions and uh, information that we were being asked to provide for our audience was uh, much more basic. Back in 2019, we had to make a case for what plant-based is. We needed to help define what plant-based was. We needed to help people understand why plant-based is even a topic that they should consider important. Um, these folks mainly being the mainstream food industry that we look to serve, um, because while we are a, a fully plant-based and vegan event, um, by definition, only the products on our expo floor, um, they must remain free of animal ingredients. Our, our goal is to connect with folks who are outside of that niche uh, lifestyle choice and into the food industry, people who are looking to, to uh, be on top of trends, who are being tasked by their, their managers to have more of these products. Um, those are our core audience. Um, so from the beginning, we were really needing to help them take that first step into even understanding what's going on here. Um, they might have seen a Beyond Meat IPO in the news. They might have seen the Impossible Whopper pick up a bunch of steam at Burger King, and they're just trying to, to get involved in some way and increase their business in a clearly growing category that is not well-defined yet. And the biggest change that we've seen now looking at our show coming up here in a few weeks in 2022 um, and, and from my role as the developer of our content and that education is the change in questions we're being asked, then the change in types of people who are asking those questions. Uh, so back in 2019, when we might have had those pioneers, um, either within the movement who are looking to change the world and using business as a way to do that, um, or those corporate folks, the buyers in, in, in big retail or food service operations or large food manufacturing companies uh, that have global distribution, um, we might have a champion from one of those companies who came and checked it out in year one and participated as an advisor or something like that. But it was harder to get in touch with kind of uh, the deeper teams who were really on the ground in those organizations um, making choices. And, and that's changed quite a bit now in 2022 as we have whole buying teams from the big retailers, the big food service operators coming out to the show. Uh, we're being asked for specific takeaways on how to add these products to menus and shelves with an eagerness from larger teams and higher ups in these companies wanting to be involved in that conversation. For example, Davis says, well, center of the plate proteins were the focus three years ago. Now food service purveyors, retailer buyers, and consumers are looking for plant-based products across segments that complement those proteins to really round out a meal. It's all of those other pieces, right, that go along with a burger. You don't just eat a dry beef patty when you're eating a burger. You eat a, a stack of ingredients. It's got bread. It's got lettuce and tomatoes. It's got condiments. It's got a slice of cheese. It might even have some crispy bacon on there. 
And that's what really makes the experience of eating that dish. And I use the burger as an example, but we can go across the board here. The protein in the center of the plate is only one piece of that dish. We're at a new stage where it's how else do we uh, create a dish that entices customers. Um, one, one point I'd make about the conference we have coming up uh, and a, a topic for food service operators specifically is about how customers are looking for so much more now than just that plant-based tag on the menu, which might have worked a few years ago if you just said, hey, we have an Impossible Burger. You could get people running it off the streets to take pictures of it and put it on Instagram because it's so novel and new. Um, but now that, that's been seen and people are now looking for something that's truly culinarily innovative. Whether you're using an Impossible or Beyond Burger as the base and making a really interesting burger out of it or combining those ingredients with beans and lentils to create your own version of a plant-based veggie burger that's kind of a hybrid, or whether you're abandoning those, those brands altogether and, and using your culinary team and your chefs to create something mouthwatering and appealing visually that as it comes out the kitchen, um, turn heads. And that, that's what this session that I'm working together with um, the Total Food Service magazine is focused on, is about how to get new customers by creating head-turning dishes out of the kitchen. And that wasn't something we had to talk about a few years ago. It was just, hey, try this Beyond Burger on your menu. You're going to get new customers. Now it's how do you break through to, to get people to say, you know what, I'm going to try that new thing rather than this thing I've always tried and eaten because it just looks and smells and clearly is so amazing that I'm going to make that choice and jump out of my comfort zone to try it. Consumer demand for a complete plant-based meal rather than just one or two star elements is also opening for innovation frozen meal segments, where Davis says he sees significant opportunity for innovation around plant-based that draw on multicultural flavors and foods to offer a complete but convenient experience beyond a single patty or a chicken nugget. I think the the frozen aisle and prepared food sides is one that just kind of jumps out at me um, because there's it's a it's a place to take all of these packaged goods to to a next level that does involve some some culinary creativity. Um, I remember getting really excited about um, uh, one of my favorite companies, Wicked Foods, came out with a whole line of like pre but frozen fried rice and frozen curries and dishes that I could just come home and throw in my oven and have a full meal that's de- developed by, uh, you know, a, a really amazing chef that is made for grocery, right, not food service. Um, and that those dishes can either be fully just vegetables um, or they could be a collaboration with uh, a, a meat alternative or a plant-based meat um, that, there's infinite white space there because there's an infinite number of different culinary creations that could be uh, frozen and put in the frozen aisle. So I think that's one place where there are whole meal opportunities um, for companies that are looking to make it easier for folks to try something, especially in this day and age when everyone's looking for something easy, quick, that fits in with busy lifestyles. Davis also sees untapped potential in plant-based snacks and around fermented foods in particular. We've seen a lot of excitement around the, the jerky market. I feel like the jerky market has been a trend in, in my life here in the food industry for a while now, but it, it only keeps getting trendier. Mushroom jerky in particular is one that I see popping up over and over again. Um, one of our keynote speakers, uh, Chef Spike Mendelson, um, it has a, a retail CPG company that's 
doing chef-inspired designed mushroom jerky um, that I haven't had a chance to taste yet, but I'm really excited about it. It's There's all of these snack foods that, again, are almost infinite in scope because there's so many of them, especially in American culture, that could be tweaked and and changed with something like jackfruit or hemp or mushrooms or even seaweed. Um, There's a lot of fermented foods as well that have, you know, another health claim that they're good for your gut biome and they're they're living foods that um, are very either snackable or, or easy condiments like sauerkrauts and stuff like that that will go on that burger or go in that salad or on that sandwich. Um, and so I think really as we just kind of look down at our plates and, and see, hey, what, what's on this plate that isn't just the protein piece, there's room in all of those areas um, with the ones that I just mentioned kind of being the ones that keep jumping up in my world on a daily basis. For all the hubbub about center of the plate proteins, Davis also notes that center of the plate increasingly doesn't need to be reserved for a protein. It could be a fungus, which he says is an ingredient category increasingly brimming with creativity. As far as the innovation in offering meat-like eating experiences, I would point to mushrooms as the number one. Um, and that is coming from my own experience of trying everything that we had at our show in London last October and feeling like even though we had every good plant-based meat uh, that we can imagine on that show floor, by the time I left the show, the one booth that rang true as the most tasty and my favorite product of the show was someone who was literally just braising mushrooms with this delicious barbecue sauce and serving it as what tasted like a crispy piece of brisket. And I, I say that as someone who ate brisket for a lot of my life. Like I, it, it was mind-blowingly juicy and crispy and flavorful. And I had to ask the guy multiple times, is this really just a mushroom? Um, and, and, of course, it was, um, you know, that there are uh, functionalities within mushrooms that I think are still very uh, untapped into and un, undiscovered. And that spans, of course, into the adaptogenic health properties of mushrooms as well, which I'm not even really speaking on right now, simply the functionality as a center-of-the-plate type um, mouth experience uh, or as an ingredient in other things, whether it's a a, a powder to go in a protein shake that has health benefits and also adds flavors and and textures to it or – uh, a snack like the mushroom jerky that, that keeps popping up every day. Uh, you know, I think mushrooms are, it, it's a one word, but it represents far more than just one ingredient because there's so many different types of mushrooms and they all have a slightly different mouthfeel and flavor and, and function uh, and also uh, impacts on health and, and nutrition as well. Um, you know, so I think the, we will be seeing a lot more of diversity of mushrooms coming through in both the snacks on the, the, the protein side of things and, um, you know, also being used as an ingredient across the board. New product development isn't the only place ripe for innovation within the plant-based industry. Davis notes that investment in infrastructure to support new launches and fully meet plant-based consumer needs are also desperately needed. A lot of the hype goes to the new brands and the new products on the show floor and that you're seeing, but the energy and the attention gets taken away from that behind-the-scenes how is it getting from one place to the next? Where is it being processed? What else is being processed in those facilities? 
and and perhaps you know it's a little bit harder to be adopted when every label still has to say it's produced in a facility that also produces other things that might make certain people with allergies you know completely avoid that product when otherwise they'd try it because they simply can't take that risk um but there's just a long way to go uh in terms of looking maybe maybe channeling some of that investment money that often goes to the flashy new thing that's that that's getting attention with the, in the news um more towards the infrastructure that's needed um the supply chain development and the facilities um that actually allow these products to be produced in similar quantities to meet because if we can't do that then it's always going to look like it's the trend is slowing down or unable to keep up because the it's it's kind of an uneven playing field there Another area that Davis says is equally essential to the long-term success of plant-based businesses, but may not be as flashy as new product development, is cultivating authenticity and aligning company and consumer ethics and values. Clear definition of values and purpose um, is going to be a thing that we see more and more as well. And that's as as consumers um, see through more kind of the, the marketing and, um, you know, people use the term greenwashing or whatever you want to say it, just the inauthenticness of certain campaigns to get involved in a certain industry or marketplace um, becomes a little bit easier to see through, both from just, you know, the, the feel that it gives to people as they're choosing between one product or another, and in the end, the way it tastes, because those who are really, truly um, embodying their values and developing something that will will speak to customers are going to go that extra mile to make sure that it delivers on that. And uh, I, I feel that there are, there's going to be more of a need for companies across the board, in particular on the, the bigger corporate side, to not only just say that they're doing something for a good, in, a good reason, but to be able to prove it um, through their data, through their, their, their research that reflects on, on how well they've done to, to support that. And, uh, through genuinely authentic, uh, and authentically connecting with their customers um, and, and surveying them, learning about what it is that they need and um, involving the customer more in the process. Uh, so it's less of a, you know, we develop a product and, and market it to you and sell it to you as the consumer and more about building community around who the buyers of your products are and what their changing needs are, what their unique um, diets and and desires to uh, live a, a better, healthier lifestyle are um, that those are the companies that I see right now that I, I that I would put my money on, you know, if I was an investor or that I would look to as the ones that are going to be a part of our trade show with bigger and bigger booths in years to come, because I see that they're not just jumping on a bandwagon. They are doing the work to connect with an audience, to define their values clearly, and then to measure that impact. Um, we have a panel this year on sustainability that is focused on how to measure that impact, uh, how to how to communicate not only what your what your intention is and what you're trying to do as far as lowering footprint, but then how to have data and research to back that up, so that as consumers are now choosing between three companies that all say that they're wanting to be more sustainable, they can look to the one that's actually proving that and feel really good and again empowered by that choice. Building on that, Davis predicts to drive notable growth in the next three years, the plant-based industry will need to fine-tune their offerings to be more culturally appropriate. Starting with moving beyond burgers and nuggets as the cornerstone of American cuisine and embracing more diversity. 
who can we look to to bring into the fold that maybe is traditionally underserved? Um, people who live in food deserts um, and, and more urban environments who typically don't have access to uh, fresh produce and an education and awareness about um, healthier foods in general, um, people of, of lower incomes who might be used to going to traditional fast food or, or eating in a way that just hasn't, you know, the, the trend took off for sure a few years ago, but there are still many groups and communities who have not yet really received the benefits of those trends and there are companies who can look to those audiences and, again, authentically connect to them, learn what they're looking for, and create products that have really wide um, market potential in groups that have, have not yet been brought into the fold. Uh, and, and culturally, um, international foods, you know, there's only so far a burger can go when a burger is a staple of the American diet. Um, is that really going to speak to someone who has grown up eating Indian food or Thai food or com- came over here from another country or is looking for more ethnically diverse cuisines that are just not satisfied by that American uh, diet center of the plate protein that kind of got all the hype off the bat? And I think we'll see, you know, that ties into the creativity. It also ties into values because in order to, to speak to someone of a different culture, you have to define your values and understand their values. Um, and then tie that back to the creativity to to make it taste good for them. Um, so these are all pieces that I kind of see uh, uh, coming together right now to paint a picture of a more colorful, a more creative, a more authentic and measurable, measurably impactful um, business world where food really is solving problems rather than just kind of um, saying that food can solve problems. You know, we're really going to start to see the businesses that are embodying that and see consumers more and more gravitate to those companies. Industry players that want to learn more about how the plant-based segment is evolving, what consumers want, and where there is the most opportunity for growth can do so at the Plant-Based World Expo in New York, September 8th and 9th. The event will have three educational tracks focused on retail, food service, and plant-based industry, allowing for deep dives into issues we've discussed today, plus many more. The show's expo floor also promises to include innovative new products that highlight the diversity of plant-based offerings, including new areas for development. To learn more about the event, including booth opportunities, visit plantbasedworldexpo.com. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. 